If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome to another episode of And Security for All. We had another fun week at FutureCon. I actually just arrived home from a flight a few hours ago. We were in Des Moines, Iowa. We haven't been there since 2019, so it's been um Great to be back there again and see all the friendly faces in that city. Next week, we're off to the windy city of Chicago and then Phoenix. For those of you that don't know, um, I am also the CEO of FutureCon Events, and we put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America. Um, I was... uh, People ask me all the time, they're like, is that all you do is travel? And I was actually lucky enough last week, I was on vacation and I was at my very favorite place that I love to go, which was in Cabo, Mexico. I was with my daughter. It was awesome. But vacation while it's happening is always great. But the hardest part is coming back after a week of relaxation. So I don't know if you guys can relate, but it's been a rough week getting back on the road. Um, I've actually been on the road for about the past six weeks. And it was funny. I was in Des Moines yesterday. And good thing they have a sense of humor there because I got on the show and I was opening up the event and I said, welcome, Omaha. And they all started laughing. And I was like, "Okay, I guess I'm not in Omaha. I'm in Des Moines. But we were actually in Omaha in the spring. We've been all over the country. So it's um, been really great. Um, seriously, after being at home for two years on lockdown and just doing all of our events virtually, it's been so nice seeing all of our attendees, just watching people converse, having fun, being face to face again. If you guys are out there and you want to attend one of our events, we have so many. um, I'm sure we're coming to a city near you. My guest today, I actually met at a show that we did not host We were um, out at an event out in San Francisco, another perk of going out to in-person events, the people you meet. It's awesome. We were attending RSA, which is a huge cybersecurity event, if you don't know, out in San Francisco. And I um, had the honor of meeting the CEO of AirGap, uh, Ratish, and we had a little technical difficulties, so I forgot to ask him how to properly say his last name, but I'm going to say Agrawal. Um, so today, and I'll have him correct me when he comes on. Today, we're going to learn more about him and his career path, how he founded AirGap, and we're going to discuss some critical infrastructure um, and cyber security defense in depth. I love having entrepreneurs on the show. I love hearing how... Um, these guys start up these guys gals start up these companies there's so many of them out there so excited to talk to Ratish. welcome to the show Ratish. thank you so much kim it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you last time and i could be more excited about this event okay so how do i we were having technical difficulties that i forgot to ask you how to pronounce i know i've had to introduce you when we were out at that happy hour how do we say your last name again uh, you did much better but it's ritesh agrawal okay Sorry about that. That's so right. how is that? Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, how you got to AirGap? Is this your first company? And just fill us in a little bit with um, some of your history. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, it's a pleasure to come here and meet the audience and share my backstory. I'm dying to tell this to everybody I meet. Um, so the company got started about three and a half years ago, I would say. Um, started this out of my previous role at Juniper Networks, where I used to run their security business. I'm super excited about AirGap Networks and the problems it is trying to solve for our customers. And um, I think the, the fundamental issue that I observed when I was at, at Juniper, uh, my previous employer, was the uh, notion of this flat network. And unfortunately, that legacy has been with us for the last 40 plus years, I would say. And the 
the proof of this is at your home. If I were to come to any of your home and ask for Wi-Fi password while announcing that I have ransomware on my laptop, I think you'd be cringing before you give me the password. The reason for your sort of concern is the same thing, which is flat network. My device, which is possibly infected with ransomware, could essentially hop into your network and your devices and compromise your devices. And this is true for businesses. This is true for factories. This is true for hospitals and every about everything else that you think about. We are carrying this burden of old school architecture that was invented about 40 years ago. And we are deploying the same thing over and over again as if nothing else has changed. And as we all know, when this architecture was implemented, the notion of flat network was implemented back in the days, 80s, essentially, there was no cyber breach. There was cybersecurity was not that big a deal. So nobody paid attention to securing those networks and time has changed. It's about time for us to do something about the fundamental flaw. So AirGap was formed out of that particular thought process. And the idea with AirGap is to ensure that you can protect a relatively flat network, if I may, or a shared network, if I may, without, um, modifying existing infrastructure or or without changing your investment that you have already made in Cisco or Palo Alto or Fortinet, et cetera. It's just essentially addressing the flaws without the pain. Uh, so that was genesis of AirGap. Since then, a lot has happened. We've had lots and lots of customers, lots of investors that are super excited about uh, AirGap and, of course, a team that we can all be proud of. Um, I'm excited about the future of AirGap. Um, I'm definitely thrilled about the present of AirGap with all the customers that are trusting us and growing every day uh, because they all realize that they have that same flaw and that flaw needs to be fixed and AirGap is the easy button for fixing the flaws. Well, that's awesome. Just I want to take a moment and um, just do a few shout outs to uh, Jonathan Kimmett. He's uh, the CISO at the University of Tulsa. Uh, thanks for joining us again, Jonathan. Looks like some people... Um, Alex Williams is out there. Thanks for being here. Cynthia is out there. Um, it looks like there's a little bit of a um, LinkedIn problem. So hopefully, I think it's a LinkedIn issue. So hopefully you guys can just uh, hang in there and it'll fix itself because I haven't been seeing, I've been watching it on another computer. So it looks like the whatever issue is working itself out. Let us know guys, but we, um, any feedback, we appreciate it. So Sorry that you're having technical difficulties, but I think it's LinkedIn. I don't think it's us. So anyway, sorry, Ritish. Um, congratulations on everything. Now, how big is AirGap? And are you all over? Do you have offices all over the country? So AirGap is about 40 employees, give and take, including a few contractors that we have. We have uh, employees all over the U.S. And we have a team that we just started back in Bangalore, India, which is predominantly focused on R&D. And that team is going to grow rapidly this year. We expect to close the year with uh, with about 40, maybe 50 employees. Um, and depends on a lot of other factors. But uh, but that's how big it is. We have five investors at the moment. We closed our A round of funding in February, so which is very timely. We have um, enough customers, enough runway now to continue to stay focused on building the technology that is solving some critical problems for our customers rather than be distracted with fundraising and other activities for the next couple of years. Well, I know that um, you guys, you know, we were talking about when we were out at in San Francisco and we were talking about Zero Trust and, you know, we had Chase Cunningham and uh, John Kinderveg. Now, how did you develop a relationship with those two awesome guys? Absolutely. We're blessed to be associated with both John and Chase. As you know, those guys are the experts in the field and they endorse the technology big time. Um, if I were to try and rephrase what John told me over lunch meeting during RSA, he said, look, I'm at this stage in my career where I don't like incremental innovation. I'm looking for something that is fundamentally fixing some of the flaws. And AirGap is definitely one of those. And coming, I mean, those words coming out of John, um, I couldn't be more thrilled because I always believed that, but getting endorsement from somebody like John and, and our association with Chase, who's even helping evangelize uh, our approach to solving the security challenges is a blessing. The way I met them is through my colleague, Cynthia, who made the introduction and we hit it off really, really well since then. So how did you now, where are you originally from, Ritesh? 
I grew up in India. Um, I did my bachelor's there, and then I uh, came to Arizona State University to do my master's. Um, straight out of college, I joined Motorola in Austin, Texas. Beautiful town. I love it. And the company, while it existed, was a really good company, and we all know the history about Motorola. But I moved to Juniper Networks straight out of uh, Austin, Texas, and relocated to California. And I've been living here since 2000. Um, I worked for Juniper for about 18 years. I led the routing biz, uh, the, the routing product that they had in terms of technical capacity. Uh, I was part of the team that incubated switching. And then I um, also ran their security business for a while. So tell us how you made that jump from, you know, being at Juniper to taking the risk and starting something up on your own. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Honestly, I mean, at that at the age that I was when I was trying to contemplate this, it was not an easy decision, but I saw such a huge pain point in the market, and I figured a solution out for this one, uh, which was inspired by telcos, and uh, I was fortunate enough to serve telcos at the time as well, and I met a bunch of very smart investors, and I was just chatting, sharing my thoughts on on why we have such a huge issue with security across the globe, and there may be a better way to solve it. And once they, they heard it, they said, you have to be crazy enough not to start a company and go ahead and start it and shut up and, and take my money and start the company. But that's how it started. I have to be grateful for these investors who nudged me a little bit. Um, couple that with the fundamental problem fixing solution that we have. And so I have everybody who helped me start the company to thank for. Well, yesterday when we were in Des Moines, I had... Um I don't know if it was one of your competitors, so I won't say the name of the company, but he had an interesting um, comment that he opened up with and he asked the audience, who in here thinks that um, phishing attacks will go away and if they can be solved? And the majority of the people said no, and he believes that they can be. What is your thought on that? And that kind of does go hand in hand with zero trust. Absolutely. And this is such a broader topic. Uh, first thing first is having done security for 20 years, I have learned not to make comments like we can stop everything and you just buy our product and all your problems will be solved because that's a pretty hard pill to swallow. Having said that, I don't believe that uh, the attacks are going to go away. And it's not because there are no good tools. It's because there are fundamental flaws. That's number one. And number two is human mistakes are going to happen no matter which product you buy and from whom you buy, you would still have that challenge of uh, um, somebody misconfiguring something. And it's awfully easier for the adversaries or attackers to actually penetrate the um, network. And once you're inside, there is no solution, whether it's phishing solution or even the so-called zero trust solution that exists in the market today that would solve your challenge. Uh, let's say you're operating a factory or you're operating a healthcare institute or you're operating a corporate network, or even if you're at home, if one of your device got infected, which is gonna get infected because we are living in a hybrid workforce sort of environment where people take their corporate machines in and out of the corporate network. And so once they are outside of the network, they could connect a USB stick, they could connect to an unsafe net network and bring that contaminated or infected laptop into the corporate environment. And once it happens, and if you look at majority of the attacks, they go through the same sort of flow of one device getting infected either on the network or off the network. And that device makes its way on the network. And after that, hell breaks loose. So my, my approach to solving the security challenge is to take a fundamental view at it, saying your biggest threat right now is one device getting infected and making its way into the corporate network and putting all your eggs in the basket of protecting that one device is like protecting the first COVID patient, which is going to be very hard if at all possible. Uh, what we need to be able to do is develop effective vaccine and a way to stop the uh, propagation of so-called virus or malware or attack. And that's that should be the fundamental approach that every organization has to take. And, um, and I'm starting to see and witness that the insurance companies, cyber insurance companies and other uh, sort of regulatory bodies are starting to ask customers to reduce their attack surface. And the best way to do that is to segment their network. Well, it's, you know, I had John Kinderweg on the show, I don't know, it was earlier this year. And I asked him how he felt because he is the true creator of, he came up with right. zero trust. Yeah. 
Yes. And I asked him how it made him feel when you Google zero trust and you have, you know, 5,000 companies that claim to be the yeah. zero trust provider. And there's not really a provider of zero trust. Right. So when you guys, um, you know, how do you, um, what is, how, how do you perfect zero trust and how do you stand behind that if that is what air gap represents so um, you're absolutely right and this is the the challenge with security industry is anytime there is a term or a buzzword if i may everybody jumps onto it saying i do the same thing as well and they leave it to the customer to decide whether the solution is eventually or actually zero trust or not, or whatever the four-letter acronym term that people may have invented. I asked a very simple question, which is, look, as the, and, I, and I had sort of longer conversation with uh, John Kinderberg about the same thing is, zero trust is not, I do one thing or I buy one tool and it'll just do zero trust. I think zero trust is about closing all the windows and the doors that you have and uh, and start with the ones that are the biggest or biggest openings, so to speak. So AirGap's approach is to think holistically from a zero trust perspective and address the biggest challenges first, and then go and cover the entire gamut of it. So to summarize that, first thing first is you have to not be able to trust your network because that's the biggest culprit of all, because uh, a trusted network is a flaw. Um, one infected device can now, on the same network, infect other devices that may or may not be patched, uh, may have unknown or known vulnerabilities that you're not aware of that the attacker can exploit. So there is a network protection. Second thing is, and, and network protection goes beyond just the corporate network, right? I mean, what about home network for a user? These days, people are working from home more so than ever before. Um, how do you and why do you trust users' home network? I mean, I'll give you an example of my home network. I have a teenage son who downloads every free game known to mankind on his laptop. I suspect some of those are malware disguised as games. Now, if I have a corporate machine in my home, I'm working on my corporate assets or connected to corporate assets, there is a very easy way for an attacker to use that malware from my kid's computer, jump onto my computer, and from there jump into the organization. So my, my theory is don't trust any network, not just your corporate network, but not don't trust a home network or a Starbucks Wi-Fi network or, or any other network that customer or your users may be logging into. The second thing is, I mean, so okay, I don't trust network, I believe you, and I'll, I'll do something about it. The second thing really is to think about a complete picture. There are lots of solutions that you could buy that work for 50% of your workload. For example, there are solutions that will provide network protection but you need to install an endpoint agent into each of your endpoints. Well, especially as we'll get into it, the OT network doesn't permit you to install endpoint agents into the endpoints. Even your corporate IT network may have dozens, if not hundreds of devices that cannot be retrofitted with any agent. And even those that can be retrofitted, you probably don't want to because agents kind of create the, the challenges. So you should, as customers, have the flexibility to deploy agents where you want to, where you can, and not deploy agents where you don't want to or you can't. And uh, you have to have a vendor that is providing you a solution that is agnostic to agent or no agent. Um, so that's all about network uh, and protecting the network against the adversaries. But now, I think the second aspect of this thing that is we are starting to see is the, the idea of browser being the biggest culprit. It's the new operating system. And your users, your uh, employees are accessing bad internet, essentially, through the browser. So the name the phishing attack or name the any kind of attack that you've heard about, browser is generally the window through which um, these attacks propagate or uh, get into your corporate network. And we need to make sure that, that we secure those as, uh, as well as, as we can. The third area that is, I'm passionate about is the security of the SaaS environment. There is so much SaaS proliferation that is happening today. Um, employees on their own are opening up accounts with SaaS companies um, for faster development, CICD, whatever you want to call it. I think IT is losing grip on exactly where all my data is going. So having that visibility and control into SaaS proliferation is extremely important in order for you to have a holistic zero trust environment. And we definitely want to want to do that as we go forward too. And finally, VPNs. VPNs are the culprit behind majority of the ransomware attacks. 
and we need to be able to make sure that VPNs are not becoming the the new frontier in terms of attack proliferation. And there are ways to mitigate that and secure those. So we want to secure the VPNs as well uh, with the modern zero trust network architecture, essentially. And uh, that's another sort of point of view that we have. And finally, to wrap it all up, look, there will be mistakes made, even if it's AirGap as a tool. And I would be lying if I told you that AirGap cannot be misconfigured no matter what you do. Of course, any tool can be misconfigured. Um, attacks may still happen despite the fact that you have bought every known tool to mankind. Um, you need a solution that would provide you an instant relief. And we have developed something very unique uh, and now trademarked as well, which is the ransomware kill switch. And the idea, as the name suggests, is to instantaneously stop the propagation of ransomware if you do get impacted because you know somebody misconfigured something or some escape happened in the network. And um, that holistic approach of providing unified solution to protect all of your infrastructure with zero trust capabilities, couple that with ransomware kill switch, that makes us very unique. So what would your advice be to larger companies that have a field of teens that are on the road and they're on airplanes every day in the hotels? I mean, just this morning when I was flying back home, um, I could not connect. I really needed to connect to the Wi-Fi, but my computer, the security on there would not let me connect, which was frustrating to me because I had a deadline. I needed to get something out. So, so when you're when you're only when you only have one network to connect to, and you know, um, how are you guys, you know, defending about you know, how are you defending with compromised networks that might be in a hotel or might be on a different device? How do you? What's your advice to the, the mainstream people that may not even be in security, what do they do to um, stay within the zero trust when you're put in those type of situations? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, look, I believe that nobody can win if you put security before productivity. It is just the reality of the situation. All my colleagues and, and friends who are in the security business or who are responsible for securing their organization probably can um, can vouch for it is nobody's going to give them attention if they're going to reduce the productivity or stop the business because there are security concerns. So we need to put productivity first. Second thing um, that you mentioned, which is uh, if the network is compromised, I will make a bold statement that there is not a network that I know that is not already compromised. So you have to start from the notion of network, even those you control are possibly compromised, let alone the ones that you don't control, like the hotel Wi-Fi or, or United Wi-Fi or any other network. I was on United Wi-Fi and I did just a scan of the network and I could see every other passenger uh, who was connected to the network and I could just enumerate them just through a simple scan of that network and scary because if I could see them, that means they can see me. And if we can see each other, we could probably infect each other. And that's a dangerous proposition. Um, it happens. You can try this at Starbucks. You can try this in your hotel network. And you can certainly try this on United Wi-Fi. So you start with the assumption of these networks are uh, infected already. And then you go into a mode of how do I lock down my device, um, my hybrid workforce that is working from all sorts of locations. I need to ensure that those devices are not going to be infected because some other device on the same network is uh, possibly already infected. And we, what we recommend our customer is to convert your hybrid devices into stealth devices. So nobody can see it. You can see everybody, no problem, but nobody can see you. And that's what will happen as soon as you deploy AirGap. That kind of disappears from the, the network. So the, what you cannot see, you cannot compromise really from a network or logistics perspective. So that's number one. Um, Number two is to, like I said, ensure that whatever employees are surfing, they're only going to the safe sites. And I think the traditional methods, I call it like the proxy method that many zero trust companies like Zscaler, Netscope, and a few others are talking about, has a limited lifespan because the internet is getting a lot more encrypted. Internet is uh, protocol is getting modified and enhancing with, with sort of Google's and others contributing on it. Proxies have run their course. You need to do something on the endpoint itself, on the browser, to ensure that uh, those devices, when they are surfing the network or the internet, are uh, are not stumbling on phishing sites or malware sites or you know 
ad content side, so to speak. Um, if you do, and then third thing is the the notion of zero trust network access, where you provide a modern way of accessing your crown jewels, which are which by nature is safe and encrypted, and requires multi-factor authentication before you access those assets, regardless of where you're logging in from, whether you're in office or, or outside. We should um, we should ensure that there is multi-factor authentication for every kind of access that you have. I mean, come on, these days TikTok is doing multi-factor and Facebook is doing multi-factor authentication. It is embarrassing for me to know that a lot of enterprise assets cannot be multi-factor authenticated. And so everybody knows this, they realize it, except they haven't found an easy enough solution. Hopefully, once they um, once they talk about AirGap and look at AirGap's technology, they would realize that there is an easy way to get that. And then finally, I'll wrap it up with by saying that zero trust is a journey. And you probably heard this. This sounds such a cliche. You probably heard this. But every time I talk to customers, we have customers that have nearly 1.5 million devices on their network. And they started saying, how do I protect all 1.5 million devices on day one? It's like, you cannot. It doesn't matter whether you buy AirGap or anybody else. You will have to migrate over a period of time, maybe six months, maybe nine months, maybe a year before you get there. So it's a muscle you have to develop and it takes its own time. Don't try and get to a solution that would solve all your problem on day one because that unicorn doesn't exist, unfortunately. So um, my next question, what I'm gonna, my comment's gonna evolve into the question. When I was at our event yesterday, I was uh, speaking to one of our attendees that works for a very large um, hot, you know, a healthcare company. And um, they also had like a sister company that was out west, huge, huge um, organization, hospital that got hit with some ransomware. And it was really awesome to hear that they didn't pay the ransom. They just wiped everything clean and they reinstalled everything. I mean, it was a major, you know, they flew in people all over and it was nice to hear that they didn't pay the ransom. So with that being said, how do you see technology in the market evolving, you know, over the next several years, especially, you know, we are seeing a lot of people pay, you know, pay the ransom, you know, and where do you see everything going with that in zero trust and what kind of changes do you think we're going to start seeing? Yeah. Um, I think to pay or not to pay ransom is a very personal decision, but I would not be able to tell you that, God forbid, if we get hit with something similar, would we be able to get away without paying ransom? And the reason I say this with as much humility as possible is the attackers are not just encrypting your hard disk so that you can wipe it clean, recover from backup, maybe lose a couple of days worth of data and, and stomach it and move forward. The attackers are getting much more sophisticated. They know that you won't pay ransom unless there is enough pressure on you. So they're not just encrypting your hard disk, but stealing the data or copying the data and, and keeping it in their pocket and now threatening to release the data to public. Now, the data could include customer data, could include your employees' data, could be your own personal data who are a decision maker and executive team. And that becomes much harder now to decide because now your fate is also in the hands of the so-called attackers. The third thing these attackers are getting even clever about is reaching out to your customers, especially your flagship customers. You can get a list of your customers through a website and various means, and giving them a peek of their data that they have stolen from you, saying, hey, tell your vendor to pay us the ransom, otherwise we'll leak your data, Mr. Customer. And that puts additional pressure on, uh, on the company that has been infected with ransomware. So I think it's going to be a personal decision whether you want to pay or not. I suspect that majority of the companies would end up paying the ransom. Uh, a couple of them may get away without doing so, but I think most of them would end up paying the ransom regardless of what. It's like, and I hate to use this analogy, but this is probably the best analogy I can come up with. If one of our kids were to be hijacked, we would want, <laughs> we would want to recover our kid as quickly as possible without the philosophical debate about rans to pay ransom or not to pay ransom. And I feel the same about the corporate assets and the corporate uh, intellectual property. In terms of how the industry is going to evolve, um, that's a much broader question. I truly believe that zero trust is definitely the uh, first step that you have to take where you start 
not trusting anything. Don't trust your employees. Don't trust your browser. Don't trust your SaaS sort of footprint. Don't trust your network. Don't trust your VPN. And start the looking at it from a different perspective, saying, if my user is compromised, if my network is compromised, if my VPN is compromised, if my browser is compromised, what would I be doing? And then work backwards. Because um, if you started with that approach, you would have solved the problem to begin with. And in case if that becomes a reality for you, you would have already put in place a solution that would cover for uh, cover for those challenges. I suspect that this is going to evolve into that direction fairly quickly. So how long do you think it's going to take until human error becomes a little smarter? Like, for example, I was I was interviewing a girl that um, for a position here and she was telling me she's been getting a bunch of phishing attacks and she works for a rather large company. She keeps getting a message that says from the CEO, hey, I just landed. Please call me. And she's like, I know the CEO would never, you know, I'm the low man on the totem pole here. So, so much of these phishing attacks are a lot of common sense, but not always because they're tricky too. But, you know, when do you think, do you think it's becoming more common for the non-security people and large organizations to understand what phishing attacks are and to, um, to just, do you think it's it's from three to five years ago? Do you think things have changed? Well, uh, by the way, the same thing that you mentioned, and I'm embarrassed to say this. This is happening to me. I mean, I am getting somebody's messaging on my behalf to all my investors, all my advisors, all my colleagues, saying, "Hey, this is Ritesh, and I'm looking for some Apple gift card and something like that. I'm in an urgent meeting." Needless to say, I have informed everybody that I know that this is happening, and um, they need to stop. But you know what? These the answer to your question is: if we are going to see a future where phishing attacks attacks won't happen, like the name may change from phishing to something else. That's just industry keeps redefining those names. But as long as human weakness exists, um, somebody is going to be out there to exploit that weakness. The second thing is the digital footprint, especially post COVID, is expanding so fast. It's difficult to train everybody on on digital sort of bad internet. Um, so it's a combination of, I cannot have everybody trained to, to an extent where everybody is a security expert, which is not just not feasible. And second is, even if I am a security expert um, and I've spent 20 years of my career in that, the attacker would catch me in, in my weakest moment uh, with the most potent message, which could be coming from, let's say from one of my investors saying, Ritesh, I need you to call me right away. Here is a link where we found some suspicious article about air gap or something like that. Well, I'd be tempted to click on it. It's like, what are these guys talking about? Only to realize afterwards that that is uh, possibly a phishing attack. So my, my recommendation is assume that phishing is going to happen. Do the best you can. Don't get me wrong. Train your employees. Buy all the tools that you could. But despite that, assume that leaks would happen once in a while. You yourself, even though you like person who's making the decision in an organization, maybe a real good security expert, but I can challenge you that there would come a day when they will, the attackers would find you at your weakest moment where you uh, with the most potent message and you end up clicking on it. And if you did, then uh, it's almost a doomsday scenario. Yeah, I agree. So, so how do you as a, you know, the CEO of AirGap, how hard is it to um, compete with all those other thousands of companies that are promoting, you know, use our product, you know, we're, you know, we're the best zero trust going back to people calling their product a zero trust product. How do you compete with some of your competitors and how do you even get in front of, you know, people to look at what you're doing at AirGap? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I honestly believe and I have spoken to about 400 customers um, since the beginning of the company. And uh, nobody, once they understand what AirGap does, nobody challenges me on how are you better than a competitor or anything. They get it right away. Um, in terms of how we are doing it, essentially, like I said before, I think everybody understands that segmenting their network is the number one step to building good cyber hygiene. And... Uh, 
every attempt to segment their network in the past have failed for them because the technology is too complex to make that happen. So here is an intense sort of demand or a pent up demand to segment the network and a challenge is that all the existing solutions suck. Uh, when they understand air gaps approach, which is heavily inspired by telcos, they understand that this is the easy button for segmentation. I have had this project uh, for a long time or my insurance company is breathing down my neck saying you need to segment or I'm not going to renew your cyber insurance. Or unfortunately, you are experiencing some sort of an attack and you know that segmentation, you can't wait to do segmentation anymore. And you hear air gap story and it's like, yeah, this makes sense and I'm going to go with it. There's no competition, so to speak. They know the competition that, and they have tried it and they have failed miserably in every attempt to segment their network. Um, a little bit about AirGaps technology from a segmentation point of view, and something for everybody to ponder on is how much time, if you're a CIO or a, or a CISO of a particular organization, how much time do you spend on securing those mobile endpoints? How many tools have you bought to secure those endpoints? Especially those who are working out of office, working from home or, or, or on the road, um, chances are you haven't spent much time, dollar, in securing those endpoints. And yet, it's unlikely that you've experienced breaches coming out of those endpoints. And there's something to be learned from that, right? I mean, that was the, the genesis of AirGap. That's where the inspiration come from. It came from, for me, when I talked to telcos, I was like, I don't want to spend on security. It's like, how can you not spend on security? You are running a, a large flat network with millions of so-called Android devices that arguably are the most vulnerable operating system, how could you not offer security? And once you double click on it and understand, yes, we've never seen or heard about ransomware propagating across all our Android devices hanging off of Verizon network or AT&T network or Vodafone network. Why is it so? And what if I could do the same thing for the enterprise network? And if I did, I would have the same level of security, scale, performance, um, services, you get all the services baked into the platform that you get from telcos as your mobile subscription plan. And you pay about 10 bucks a month for extra line. I mean, I can bet you CISO is spending a lot more than that on every endpoint that they have to secure in their organization. So it's an inspiration um, that comes from telco, which is very unique for AirGap. And truly, we don't have that much competition in the market. I would actually want a few so that, you know, people have something to compare compare with. For, for now, we are getting a smooth sale out there. Well, um, another question, and I, I want you to remember that on the Voice America side, this, this show is called And Security for All. So we do have a lot of people that t tune in that are just learning about cybersecurity and they just, you know, they're, they're not used to some of these words. So what are these questions, if you could break it down a little bit, you know, um, what are the benefits of the converged approach to securing IT and OT environments? First, if you can explain what the converged approach is, and if you can explain the I and the, the IT and the OT environments, the differences. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to do that. So um, the IT stands for information technology, and this is typically your IT organization that is managing your laptops and your corporate networks and data center and cloud and so on and so forth. Um, the OT stands for operational technology. These are factories and hospitals and, and transportation companies, et cetera, that have machines uh, called, for the lack of a better word, you can call it Internet of Things or uh, Internet of Medical Things or medical devices and so on and so forth. So IoT, IOMT, OT, broadly speaking, you can put in a bucket of these endpoints that are not necessarily on an ongoing and a continuous basis operated by humans like your laptop is or like your workstation is. And these OT machines need to be protected as well because they often run black box operating system, many times very vintage in nature. Because if a machine, let imagine you have a large factory with a large machine that you bought 10 years ago and it's working fine, but it happens to be running Windows 2007, which was the state of the art operating system at that, at that, at that point. Well, it's out of support, it has known vulnerabilities, and you don't want to throw away the entire big machine that you may have spent $2 million and probably waste two tons just because the operating system is obsolete. So we have lots and lots of customers that are managing these so-called vintage operating system. Some they know that it's Windows 2007 or Windows XP or Windows 2000, 
some they don't even know which operating systems are running there, let alone be able to patch it and update it and upgrade it. So they become the most vulnerable asset uh, inside the organization, especially for those who are operating machineries and, and IOTs uh, per se. The second thing is these machines are getting increasingly connected to the network and the internet at a broader scale because, I mean, they produce very meaningful data that can be used to improve your productivity or performance or basically business outcomes. And that, and I think it's important to stay competitive and connect these machines and gather the analytics and, and then use that analytics to optimize your production or performance. And so they are now coming into a situation where in order to get that analytics, you need to connect them to the, to the bad internet or cloud. And once you do that, they are exposed as much as any other device is. Only thing is these are more vulnerable than your typical operating system that you have on your laptop that is constantly patched and updated and upgraded. Once you understand the IT and OT difference, the other problem that majority of the traditional industries are facing is they have IT and OT network that is flat, meaning you would find MRI machine on the same network that you have guests connecting to. This is embarrassing because if you, let's say, go to your favorite hospital, I hope you never have to, but if you did, um, and you did scan the network after connecting to the guest network, don't be surprised if you start seeing um, mission-critical IoT or IOMT, medical devices, actually, on that network, and then you have the ability to compromise them as well. It is extremely important. Uh, for ease of use, it's really important to have a flat network. All devices are on the same network. I'm managing one network. Obviously, life is easy. Uh, but from a security perspective, that's a challenge because if you're, while it's easy to operate a flat network, it is also very vulnerable um, because you have a flat network and you have more than one device or hundreds of devices on the same network. So it's really important to have your, you know, have a flat network because its ease of operation is important to you. But at the same time, it's also important to segment it. And that, those two combinations are deadly combination. And if a vendor like AirGap can provide you that segmentation on a flat network, then I think you can have your cake and eat it to do. And so that's the idea about AirGap. Well, that's a really scary thought, your whole analogy of a hospital. And it's true. It is, I mean, I, I, I don't want to name names, but I have I've spoken to customers that have that situation. So, yeah, that's a, that's that's very scary because all of us, you know, have someone, you know, if it maybe our parents, what have you, our kids that have emergencies, and you know, so so what do you think are the hospitals? Because it's not the first time that we've talked about that this subject on this show. What is it going to take before you know the healthcare industry, you know? has a really big awakening that something needs to change quickly. Yeah, I, I, I want to give some credit to the CISOs uh, or CIOs at the healthcare institutes. They know, um, they're worried. They're worried sick in their stomach about the vulnerability and the challenges associated with those vulnerabilities that they're carrying every day of the week. And they want to do something about it. Unfortunately, um, one of their hands tied behind their back muddied with the sort of notion of regulation and um, IoT device vendors, especially in the medical sector, controlling the uh, every change that they want to make, controlling that very tightly. Um, and for that reason, I think all of these guys are looking for a standard space solution that should be able to reduce the blast radius, if I may. So if you have every machine or fewer machines in a network, then you know, worst case scenario, you lose one or two or three machines. Um, and again, I, I want to sort of plug AirGap into this thing, which is these customers, when they realize that AirGap will isolate every machine in a bubble of its own, then your blast radius is down to one machine. And that is much more um, tolerable, if I may, than, than losing the entire hospital to a particular attack. And while we're using hospital as an example, this is true for other mission-critical um, sector as well. So you talk about energy sector, you talk about transportation, you talk about even manufacturing. Um, we have all seen what happens when you run out of toilet papers back in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, everything is mission critical when it comes to some of these factories. And they all have the same challenges. Regulation is a problem. 
um, cyber insurance is a problem and so on and so forth. So they're looking for a solution that is less disruptive, if at all disruptive uh, for their organization and yet get all the benefits that they, they need to have in order to stay safe. So since we've been talking about so much negativity that happens out there and we probably have about six minutes left on the show, um, can you talk about, tell us some of the positive things that you're seeing and some of the changes that you've um you know, where you, you've seen bad and you've seen ugly and now you're seeing good, what AirGap has done to change some of the customers that you've worked with? Yeah, on a positive note, I would say the awareness about security challenges is at, the, at its peak. And it's probably going to get even better as we go forward. I think everybody realizes that you can never, you cannot anymore overlook the, the threat of cyber breaches that you may have. Um, I think everybody realizes, and I try to evangelize this every day, that the rate of digitization is much higher than the investment in cybersecurity. So we are seeing this divide increasing where you have more digital assets, you're relying on internet and network more so than ever before at an exponential pace. And the cyber uh, investment is yet to catch up to that same pace. And I think that is going to happen in the next few weeks or months or quarters, I would say, as customers start to realize more and more and they decide that they have to put more money in it. Uh, about AirGap, it's almost scary. And I, again, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but if you talk to the customers who have taken a bet on AirGap, after they deploy AirGap, they sing songs about the product. Um, it's scary to me because the expectations are that high. They're so happy with it that I don't want to disappoint any of the any of our customers. It's just because they understand that they've had challenges solving the problem that AirGap solved for them in a matter of hours, actually, something that could take them a year or so. And so from AirGap's point of view, good timing for us where there is security awareness is at its peak and a great product that is solving the fundamental challenge for the customers. What about overall in the industry? Um, again, I always like to end the show with some positive things that we're seeing because we hear so much, you know, so every day, you know, we're hearing about something that has happened and gone wrong. Where do you think the technology, what are some positive things that we're seeing that were not happening maybe a year ago? Yeah, I think this is somewhat similar to what I said before, which is the number one step to solving a problem is to understand that there is a problem. And I think we are, we are especially post-COVID, we are seeing we are seeing that cyber has become a priority for many of the businesses. I'm also seeing that the CISOs in many organizations now have started reporting directly to the CEO as opposed to the CIOs. Um, it just means that there is more say about security all the way to the executives, CEOs, and in, in some cases, uh, reporting into the board as well. I'm starting to see mandates coming out from government about zero trust. I'm starting to see cyber insurance companies putting their foot down saying, you need to have uh, paid attention to cybersecurity before you can expect renewal of the cyber insurance and so on and so forth. All of this is going to create more empowerment for the security organizations, more resources for the security organization um, that has been asking or screaming for help all along. And now they are getting more, more say in the matter. And then finally, I think in terms of education and awareness of security across the board, people are choosing cybersecurity as a career because they know it's a very lucrative opportunity, to be honest with you, because of the growth that we are seeing. And all of this is going to help in terms of awareness and building the momentum towards solving the security challenge once and for all. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, cybersecurity is, you know, the big buzzword. And that's a whole nother show, you know, talking about, you know, the, our younger generation getting into that industry. And I know Jonathan, he would attest to this. I mean, he 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 has a great team. He he uses his, I'd say this almost every week, he uses his students and the cybersecurity team at the University of Tulsa to help run his SOC team. So I think that's like such a great thing he's doing out there. But there it's really tough 
for these young kids to get into the industry. And that's, I don't even want to go there because we don't have enough time because that's a whole nother episode. But, um, you know, again, we're, we're getting pretty close. What benefits do you want to, you know, what last message do you want to let our viewers know why they should check out AirGap and why AirGap is making a difference? And I know you have said some things, but I'm sure there's a few other things that you'd like to shout out about AirGap. Absolutely. And I want to be as genuine as I can. First of all, I'm here to help whether or not you buy AirGap. If you have security challenge and if you I've done this for 20 years, whatever little knowledge I have gained, I'd be happy to share with you. If there are people who are looking for job opportunities in cyber, I'll be happy to help to the extent I can. And I'm very authentic about it. This is true. I'm, I want to solve the security problem. And if it ends up earning me a business, then it's great for me. But otherwise, that's not my motivation primarily. Uh, switching gears, talking about why should they check out AirGap? Look, it's solving a fundamental problem. And it's solving it in a very unique way. If nothing else, you would learn something new about how the industry is trying to solve the problem. What is our point of view? We have six patents that are granted to us. Uh, we have nine more pending in review. We expect to have 25 patents by the end of the year. Uh, we've been mentioned in Gartner, three of the Gartner's hype cycle. You'd be lucky to get uh, mentioned in one of the cycles. We've been mentioned in three cycles. We have five investors. I think we have some good things going on for us. Uh, give, it a, give us a shout. No matter what your request or, or requirement is, or you just want to learn about new technology, I'm always eager to speak to um, as many people as I can. Well, Ritesh, uh, thank you so much uh, for being here with us today. And help me one more time say the correct way of your last name. You did it right, Ritesh Agrawal. All right. Um, CEO of AirGap Networks, thank you so much for being on the show today. That was a quick hour. We'd love to have you back. Thanks for sharing your insight on the industry and everything AirGap's doing. Congratulations on your success over there. Thank you, everyone else, for joining another episode of Ant Security and for All. I know LinkedIn was having some um, issues. I have no idea what that was, but... Um, I know all of you stayed listening and thanks to all of our listeners on Voice America. We look forward to seeing you guys next Friday. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com. Or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host Seamless Podcast, started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.